Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from shop.net. What we'll keep after COVID, part two. Like a difficult class, you can't keep your eyes off Fianna for one second without them going off and being mischievous and naughty. And sure enough, only a couple of days after I recorded the first part of this episode, where in Fianna Fáil going on about how great Norma Foley was, um, she, she said, uh, they said now in her first year in office, Minister Norma Foley has delivered, and they said these things that they, they delivered, historically low class sizes, more SNAs than ever, more teaching jobs, upgrades in school buildings, the reopening of our schools and the Leaving Cert, and then, and more. That's that's kind of a strange one, and more. Um, I wonder what and more was. But, I mean, oh, analysing it, if you wanted to, uh, is, is, is amazing. Historically low class sizes, which are still by far the highest in the EU. More SNAs than ever is, um, yes, there are more SNAs uh, in the system, but there are also way more uh, percentage-wise children that need those SNAs. Uh, so therefore, there's less SNAs per percentage of children than ever before, probably. And uh, so, uh, but even if it's not than ever before, but certainly there's less SNAs, uh, SNAs in the system. Uh, more teaching jobs. Well, that's because we are growing and therefore, Therefore, you need more teaching jobs. If you reduce the uh, ratio of class size down by one, you obviously need teachers for that. So, I mean, that's essentially the same thing as point number one. Upgrades in school buildings. I mean, that happens every year and every year they get gifted back to the church. Uh, I wouldn't call that an achievement. And the reopening of our schools. Do you know what? Every summer, I'll tell you what I do. I reopen my school after the summer holidays. And Norma Foley um, managed to not reopen the schools uh, in, in, in a manner that was entirely safe. In fact, it was against the advice of Ronan Glynn from Enfet at the time. Uh, she was mad to get the schools open, um, even when there were 8,000 cases uh, a day in Ireland. Um, and surely she would have had blood in her hands, but yet it is an achievement that she reopened her schools. And the Leaving Cert, is that the reopening of the Leaving Cert? Or is it just like she invented the Leaving Cert? It's, it's, it's hard to tell from that. And more. Well, and more. Who knows what and more, are, more is, but I'm sure we'll discover them uh, very shortly in part two of this special podcast, where I'll be analysing some more of the tweets that you sent to me about things we'll keep after the COVID-19 pandemic is over, if it'll ever be over. And uh, we'll uh, also look at some of the things that will be thrown into the bin forevermore. So that's the plan for the next half hour or so. And I look forward to talking to you. Hello, hello, you are welcome to the second part of this special episode about things we'll keep after COVID. Um, and uh, what I'm doing is really having a look back at the uh, probably the worst year we've ever had in education uh, because of mainly because of COVID-19. But I think um, apart from COVID-19, because a lot of, I mean, obviously it was terrible for everybody in, in, in many ways, but as well as COVID-19, 
we had this awful other virus that seems to have entered our education system. And that virus is called SPIN. And I've never, I mean, as you've heard in my introduction, I mean, the Fianna Fáil party have discovered SPIN in a big way. I think they learned it from Fianna Gael in the last, uh, uh, because they were pretty good at it. Um, I don't know if Fianna Fáil were, were always good at it. I don't really remember. Um, uh, I think it was, was it 10 years before uh, since they were last in government? They used to be a bit more open. I was only saying to somebody there, um, Noel Dempsey back in 2003 wasn't spinning uh, when he started threatening teachers um, in 2003 uh, around Christmas time that he was going to get send the inspectors to on the spot inspections that they weren't um, that they made sure they were in and weren't extending their Christmas holidays uh, and so on but uh, I'd say these days he would have had a bespoke solution for schools I'm sure but um, these days they're all at it spinning away um, and what I'm going to do is just go through the next load of um, tweets that people have sent me over the next uh, number of minutes. And um, I'm going to start with one that was very divisive because, I mean, of all the tweets I got, this was the one um, I think I got lots more than anywhere else. And it was around staggered break times. It's funny the things that... that uh, are the, the most divisive things when it comes to after COVID-19. I mean, yes... There was a lot of talk about whether we'd wear masks and whether we'd uh, wash our hands and sanitize and all that kind of stuff. But by far the most tweeted uh, feedback I got to my question about keeping uh, things that we'd keep or things we'd scrap after COVID-19, um, it was around whether we would go back to staggered break times. Um, and it was absolutely 50-50 down the middle, more or less, um, maybe slightly more in favor of uh, getting rid of staggered break times. And in fact, uh, an offshoot of that uh, tweet, uh, another uh, teacher principal, Katrina Golden, did a poll of um, teachers to ask, would they like to keep it or scrap staggered break times? And it was fairly close. I mean, just slightly, um, slightly in favor of scrapping them. Um, I mean, and here are some of the reasons. I mean, the reasons why uh, people liked staggered break times okay and it was it was kind of interesting the reasons that came uh, around it one was uh the fact that there was improved yard behavior because there was um because there were less children on the yard and in general teachers were generally supervising their own class almost on a daily basis if not on a daily basis more often certainly than before um i suppose the days of only being on yard duty twice a week are probably gone for while COVID is in the mix. And uh, with a teacher supervising their own class, um, it certainly enhanced yard behavior, um, maybe because, I mean, there's a few reasons for that, I suppose. One, there were fewer children. Two, their own teacher was supervising them on yard. Um, but possibly because uh, there weren't too many ball games being played, you know, I, I, I certainly know that uh, soccer is, uh, I remember if, if it's anything like my youth, uh, soccer was a very fraught uh, kind of uh, event every every break. I, I don't know how we, we all didn't kill each other somehow, but if someone uh, kicked the ball into the goal in a questionable way, oh, I mean, the debates were fierce and violent in some cases. And uh, if somebody made a little foul, uh, slid in a little late, um, particularly on the tarmac, um, there could be World War Three. So yeah, I mean, I don't know why yard behavior improved. Maybe it was for any of those reasons, uh, but uh, that was one one reason that people uh, basically said in their in their replies. Uh, but given that there were more teachers on yard, it meant the staff room was much more empty, and this was a problem with the staggered break times. Uh, less crack 
Uh, and do you know what? I despise the word crack. Uh, I don't know. It's a little known fact about me is that I just find two words intolerable. Uh, one of them is crack and the other one is gas. If I hear someone is a bit of crack or is gas, I kind of generally feel that I probably won't like that person. It's a fun fact for you. Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it, there was uh, less fun in the staff room, certainly because there were less people there. Uh, people often describe staff rooms um, in schools, healthy staff rooms, that is, like a pub without alcohol. And the chats that go on and everything else are great, uh, great fun. And when there's fewer people there, it's much quieter. You're saying with the same maybe five or six people instead of, let's say, maybe 20 or 30 people. This is big schools, I suppose I'm talking about. I don't know how it was in, in, in smaller schools and um, you know where you know particularly in two teacher three teacher schools where teachers are generally on yard pretty much all the time did they notice any difference um but for schools that were big and they had to stagger their break times i mean these are things that were um you know sort of mentioned uh, as uh, as problems uh or as, as as things that they didn't like um it's i don't know i mean i suppose for me um i kind of i i i definitely would lose the staggered break times if I possibly could. I I think um a lot is lost um in terms of like having the children separated uh into their classes. There's no mixing of the age groups now. I know we won't be able to do that for a little bit longer. But at the same time, you know, there's something magical about, you know, a group of fifth and sixth class kids playing with a playing yard games with a group of junior and senior infants you know those kind of interactions are, are wonderful i'm not saying you can't do those during staggered break times but um you know that natural even the natural stuff that happens uh, when the children are allowed to play with each other in different classes now i know um there are a number of big schools i'd say that have sectioned off yards and you shall not cross the yellow line as it was in one school that i was in uh, but um generally um you know if children are allowed to play wherever they want you can have you know the magic of third versus fourth class in a soccer match or whatever it might be and um, i also as i said just from the teacher point of view having everyone in the staff room is just great now i know as i said that can't happen for a while but um yeah overall i think for the greater good staggered break times i would ditch uh staggered break times but i know that was a very 50 50 one anyway that is the big controversial one out of the way let's say um next thing that came up was um interesting yeah i, I don't think anyone would argue with this one this is not controversial um the idea that the that the government i suppose they were forced into it in a way um going back to uh, pre recession times where if you were sick or if you weren't in let's say for a force majeure or whatever it might be your first day of your absence was covered is covered by a substitute teacher which um makes sense i mean one of the recession measures um which really uh, it was way past its sell by date because the only reason to do this was to save money but it never came back it was back in the olden days um if you were sick um you got a substitute to cover your class then during the recession, they removed, for some reason, after your, on the first day of your absence, you didn't get cover. And that meant your class had to be split between the other classes. And because of COVID-19, obviously that wasn't um, an option because we couldn't mix these bubbles, as I, as I like to call them, uh, or classes, as normal people would like to call them. And really, um, you know, it's it's shocking that not covering the first day of absence was still in place well after the recession ended and um 
I just think um, it was a, it was a very very poor decision. I also like the fact that cover for the uh, cover for EPV days came along. Now not all EPV days, and this is this is kind of something that I I think is is really annoying. If you're going to grant um, EPV days to teachers for doing courses in their own time, and then not cover them with a substitute, it's it isn't a motivator for doing the professional development. What it does is it puts it puts principals in very difficult positions because if you only cover the first day of an of an EPV day, which is what they're doing now, now it used to be none, and again classes are split. But given that we can't split classes, and we still won't be able to cl- uh, split classes. What are we going to do? Now the only thing we can do is get a lear- uh, is get one of the set team, the learning support teachers, the resource teachers, wh- uh, whatever you want to call them. But now these days the set. Um, and that means a children receiving support won't get their support the day that a teacher is taking uh, an EPV day. So then you get all the guilt around that, you get all the problems around that of, of, of people being not happy that they're not getting the, their support and everything else. And ultimately, it's just left on the school to, to sort of, you know, shrug their shoulders and say, look, you know, what can I do? You know, and some people would say, well, the teacher shouldn't be taking their EPV days and... Um, teachers quite rightly be saying, well, of course we should be getting our, our these days because, you know, we don't we don't have any we don't have very many perks in our uh, in our job throughout the year. I mean, and I know before uh, some people pounce on me and say July and August are they not perks enough? Um, what I'm saying is if you uh, if your um, non teacher friend is getting married during the school year, oh those inconvenient people, um, well. And can you say to them, well, I'm sorry, I can't come to your wedding because I've, you know, I can't take leave or whatever it might be. That's what the idea of now these EPV days are. They're to encourage you to do uh, courses during the summer when you're supposed to be on your leave. And um, and if they're not covered, uh, then you there's issues, really. I mean, so what I would say is the Department of Education, rather than basically saying, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, basically rather saying, you know, you can take up to five EPV days next year, but only one of them is going to be covered. They should have said, no, we'll cover all five days or we'll cover none. And there's no EPV days. You know, we're in a crisis. Let's just get over it and uh, we'll be back to normal. But what they've done is they've thrown everything on the schools to make these decisions. And the thing is, every school is its own fiefdom. Uh, and basically some schools will figure it out and be generous and some schools will put in these ridiculous policies um around it and you know and again then you get the whole problem of inconsistencies and uh, and so on so ultimately while there's very big positives around th- i mean it should have been in place the first day of any absence should be covered by a substitute the whole epv thing is a problem um, I mean, one of the other advantages, I suppose, of, of this thing was, was the idea of not splitting classes. This is something that I, I just can't understand, actually, to be honest with you, why, um, why nobody was ever up in arms about this. Do you know, um, you know, it's only, maybe it's only because, I, uh, you know, people just didn't think about it. But as a, like, from a parent point of view, right, your teacher isn't going to be in, okay? And that's fine, you know, that, that can happen. But their class isn't covered, so... Pre-COVID times, what happened was they were split in, across all these classrooms and effectively just babysat for the day. Like no learning really went on uh, during these days. And I don't know, I've never heard anyone complain about this system that, 
you're you're just sending your child in that day to be babysat. Not there's no you know there, there's very little in terms of learning, and no one's really questioned that uh, and said surely there should be a substitute teacher in there so my child's learning isn't affected. But anyway, that's uh, just a, a bit of a, a thing on EPV days uh, while we're talking a little bit about the idea of um, what we'll keep, the covering of the first days of absence, uh, because that definitely should stay in place. Um, so um, as uncontroversial as I thought that might uh, be, it ended up um, actually not being controversial at all, which is uh, very good. <laughs> so um, anyway, we'll, um, we'll move on to the next one because we are already halfway through this episode, this part of the episode, and I've only gone through two of these things. So I suppose what we'll do is, I mean, I think at this point, uh, it would only be fair to celebrate um, something that we should keep. And I mean, I think, you know, it would be wrong of me not to mention um, the amazing, amazing mitigation measures that our union the INTO fought so hard for throughout the pandemic. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't, you know, sometimes you take these things for granted, you know, that, you know, you don't think your union are doing anything at all. And they're just, you know, you know, you know, you kind of think they might be just taking credit for like decisions that would have been made, even if they weren't there, do you know, things like that, you know, you kind of take those things for granted, you know, like all the mitigation measures they got in place, you know, um, you know, namely, um, oh, namely, um, uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, outdoor teaching was something that people want to keep. Um, outdoor teaching, um, I think actually has been one of the successes of, um, what COVID-19 forces into. Um, you know, I mean, outdoor teaching isn't a new thing at all, um, not even in Ireland. Uh, I mean, the idea of these forest schools and outdoor classrooms, you know, you, you've seen them around, dotted about the place. Um, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of examples. Uh, the Ranala Multidenominational School uh, has this amazing forest school behind them. I think Rathfarnham Educate Together also have something as well. So these are city schools with, uh, I mean, forests. Uh, I mean, they're not actual forests, but they've turned these... Uh, areas of green into um into into beautiful outdoor spaces um i mean my own school i i, I we've uh, created a wonderful outdoor space uh, and built on it uh, one of our uh, when our school was built we decided to build an outdoor classroom uh, back in 2012 i think 2012 2013 so about nearly 10 years ago and we're building on that all the time and loads and loads and loads of schools uh, you hear during COVID-19, we're being really inventive and very clever um, around the use of outdoor space. And I think people have really realised, you know, Irish weather isn't actually as bad as we make it out to be. Um, there are more, way more days in the year where uh, we have um, dryness. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say bright sunshine, but certainly it's dry and not lashing with rain as much as we think. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my eastern um, seaboard bias is coming out here. And if I was living in the west, I'd be uh, saying, ah, come on now, Simon, it rains every uh, every every second day or even more. And that is true. Um, but uh, let's say certainly um, 
from uh, from an Eastern biased point of view. Outdoor teaching uh, certainly is something I think that we should keep. Uh, and some brilliant stuff was done. Um, and, uh, and, you know, lots of school gardens, um, lots of planting of trees and, and seeing them grow, lots of um, moving furniture outside um, and... And kind of uh, having having lessons outside like that, using picnic benches, sitting on the grass with picnic uh, blankets, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're really, really, really nice ideas. Um, I know, um, I mean, for those of you sitting in the rain, um, I, I've even seen like these sort of covered um, classrooms outside, you know, where you stick a, if you can get perspex uh, during COVID-19. Uh, but uh, it is possible, you know, to cover an area and even have your outdoor classroom uh, covered so I mean that might be something for you guys in Donegal and Mayo and Sligo and to all that neck of the woods where it never stops raining but um, yeah outdoor outdoor teaching I think is something that I'd be absolutely thrilled to bits to keep because it's uh, you know the benefits of being outside uh, are, are obviously wonderful and long may that last I mean if the if people in Finland and Norway and Sweden uh, who are in much worse climates than we are can do it, then absolutely we should be maybe thinking about the same thing. Now, let's uh, go on to the next uh, thing here. Uh, staff engagement with CPD, access to more education centre courses while they're on Zoom, and despite not being allowed to Zoom during school, having access to so many more courses was very popular. So that's just one of the tweets uh, that was uh, written and yeah, I mean, there's there's always, you know, I mean, I suppose what we, what we can say is uh, online uh, CPD and COVID-19 um, really married very, very well. And it's a good time for, you know, if we, I, I've said this many, many times, but was, I mean, if you were to talk about the real heroes um, in the education system uh, during COVID-19, it was the education centres without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. They were, I mean, the word innovative is, is, is used a lot um, and it's almost cliched, but from the off, they realised we need to react to this um, mad situation, COVID-19. No, no one can leave their houses. Um, they need to learn how to be online teachers. Um, they, this, and they asked, what do you need? Um, they were hosting um, webinars um, within weeks of the pandemic and there were hundreds of teachers taking part in these webinars. Um, usually if you went to a, a course um, before COVID-19, if you had 20, 30 people in a room, uh, you'd be doing very, very well. That would be deemed a success. There were hundreds of people going to particular webinars. Um, amazing stuff going on. Um, I was very privileged uh, that I, I was able to uh, host a couple of webinars for a couple of education centres. Um, and interestingly enough, Clare Education Centre was the one I mainly uh, went with, which was kind of kind of interesting for me because I, I, don't, I don't have any association with Clare uh, particularly. I have no relations out there. But uh, Ray McInerney out there um, got in touch with me and we ran a, a number of uh, webinars and we had 400, 500, 600 teachers showing up uh, when I was talking about like how to various things about online learning and how we should do it uh, and talking about uh, I suppose keeping ourselves uh, healthy and uh, in terms of that and what the balance of expectations might be uh, especially throughout the uh, as the pandemic uh, kept going and uh, expectations uh, kept rising 
And I guess, um, you know, um, what was great about the fact that I could work for Clare Education Centre was that I didn't have to go to Clare to actually deliver the content. And I think that was one of the successes. Um, it, it, different education centres have different strengths and um, some of them were able to have access to people that other education centres just don't, didn't have access to. So I was able to maybe go to Donegal um, if I wanted to, to learn about whatever I wanted to learn about, uh, or I could have gone down to Cork um, or head up to County Louth or wherever from the comfort of my own um, Carlo seat. And I think this was something really, really great because we got some amazing courses. And if I missed a course, I mean, another great thing about this was, let's say a course is on on a Monday and I just couldn't make it to that Monday course. The advantage really was that we could, uh, that the courses were generally repeated in different education centres and uh, I could attend it maybe on a Wednesday or a Friday because the, the thing was, um, there was flexibility in terms of which days you could go. Everyone didn't all have to be in the same place at the same time, so you could run the courses over a few days. And that was, again, a really, really useful uh, kind of thing as well. So, I mean, online CPD, I think, is something that we might keep. Now, when I say we might keep, I don't think we might keep it exclusively. Um, I think it's something that we might um, use a, a lot more of. Um, but there is a risk because it is cheap to run these courses um, and um, it's cheaper because you don't have to provide any tea and coffee. You can have several uh, more people in these courses. So it's cheaper um, in, a, in a way to per capita for per, 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 uh, per seat um, and so on. So I wouldn't have it exclusively because there is a lot to be said for face-to-face -face courses. One of the problems with webinars, and I say this as someone who was giving a lot of webinars, was I was staring kind of like what I'm doing right now, um, although I feel I'm talking to you in some ways. Um, it's not the same as actually talking to real life human beings. The interaction is very different. Um, you, you don't get that uh, vibe that you get when you're in a room with a lot of people. You don't sense how people are feeling. Um, when I'm telling terrible jokes, um, you know, even fa during face-to-face -face interactions, People politely laugh along, uh, but when I'm uh, on a webinar, God, I don't know what people are thinking. They're probably going, oh, God, this is awful. Stop. That stop with these terrible dad jokes, um, which which, uh, which maybe maybe that was an advantage uh, that people could actually do that. Um, the other thing, I suppose, is, yeah, you, you just you couldn't see the people and it was a little bit more rigid in terms of interactions, you know, typing in, in the chat and so on and people are more reluctant to engage I think online um, and I, I mean moving away a little bit from CPD there a bit um, I would have gone to my one of my union meetings uh, which was held on Zoom and similarly like just you know the, the atmosphere wasn't there it became more of a lecture rather than a than a meeting uh, and I'd say that as well for the CPD it, they became more like lectures rather than um, you know CPD events or tutorials or whatever they might be the other thing that I think was a bit Ah, uh, it was a bit disappointing, and it is something that, the, that that's going to be kept, even when it's not needed, is that all CPD is going to be outside of school hours. And yeah, some people might go again, well, that's only right, good and proper. But at the end of the day, why? Why why would why would we do that? You know, again, wasn't isn't it isn't it good to be able to get up in the morning, go to your local education centre for the day, and get really good CPD for a full day? 
you know, a nine to three kind of day of, you know, really deep CPD rather than over, you know, 10 weeks, you know, an hour at half seven at night when you're really wrecked and you're doing it because, you know, I don't know, you'll be doing it because you want to. But at the same time, you know, the kids are not in bed or whatever. Or they're going to bed. You've just had your dinner. You're tired after a day's work. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm just sounding a little bit spoilt there to people that aren't teachers in a way. Uh, I'm sure um, a lot of CPD is outside of school time or outside of work time in, in many other careers. But again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any CPD outside of school hours. But I'm saying again, sometimes you need a full day of CPD where rather than splitting it up over a couple of weeks or a few weeks, um, you know, and um, yeah, I just think I just think that's a that's a poor rule. So I would scrap that. I, I absolutely say where possible, maybe have, you know, an hour after school kind of for your CPD, but where you need a real deep um, kind of CPD, I think uh, keeping those face to face full day um, uh, uh, CPD days. Are, are absolutely worthwhile and need to remain. I'll do one more, um, which won't be too controversial at all, um, because and I, uh, because I think of all the uh, things, um, if 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 I could say, okay, what did the government do? You know, in terms of mitigation measures, that solved a problem. Um, that's I suppose, uh, been around for years and years and years, and after COVID. We haven't had a complaint whatsoever about it. And to me, the best thing the Department of Education did was up the grant for cleaning. Um, and I'm not saying that to be, um, I mean, to be sarcastic in any way. I actually genuinely mean it. For the very first time in, um, in our school's history, we were able to afford enough cleaning to ensure that our school was clean. Um, the grants that were given before for cleaning were, weren't enough. They just weren't enough. And what you could afford for the grant that was given simply wasn't enough to keep schools in the manner that they should have been. You know, there's, there's, you get enough maybe to mop the floors or get a classroom once a week. Um, whereas with um, the funding for COVID-19, we, every, every classroom is getting, uh, gets cleaned um, several times a week. The bathrooms are cleaned every day. All the basics, the basics are done. And um, I think one of the things, uh, if you could keep anything nearly, if I could say, okay, what's the one thing I would keep? I'd probably say it's that one. For the, the, the funding that was given for extra cleaning, it wasn't, you know, and, and the thing is, it wasn't a huge amount. I mean, in the general context of things. And I've, I've talked about um, cleaning staff and, and caretaking staff and all this kind of stuff in the podcast before where I would suggest it would be far cheaper and far more efficient for um, a whole country um, sort of procurement, a contract um, for um, much like they do in hospitals, I think, where the government um, pay or, or I don't know who, but I think the Department of Education get a tender for cleaning of of schools and they can divide it up into I don't know into counties or into whatever whatever they way they want or it could be a national program where they spend a, a certain amount on cleaning and depending on the size of your school and I don't mean the size in pupils I mean the size of the building that's the amount of funding you would get in fact you wouldn't get the funding the school would just be clean and the bill would be sent to the department of education 
I really think this is the way we should do a lot of things in, in, in education. But short of uh, that kind of thinking, um, re- retaining the level of funding for cleaning, I think, must continue. Um, I, I don't suppose it will, but it is something that I think we should do. Um, because in fairness, um, a, a lot of people go on about masks and hand sanitizing um, as, as measures that have stopped a lot of colds and flus and the various things coming to schools. But I actually also think it's the level of cleanliness within the school. It's never been higher. And I would say that plays a large part in in terms of funding. So let's uh, let's leave uh, that as our, uh, I suppose, our part two of measures. We've just bridged the half hour mark. Um, I'm looking forward now. And, uh, I'll probably try another if I can, if I have a bit of time. Um, we're not finished. Uh, I'm not finished in school until Wednesday this week. So a lot of you have finished for the year. I'm still uh, slaving away here at the school. Um, but uh, recording this on a Sunday while um, Roz and Emrys are off for a few minutes. Um, hope um, you enjoyed uh, the second part of this. Uh, we got got down a few more of those. I think another six of our of our uh, things done there of our tweets done. We've um, still quite a bit. I think we might get to four or five parts here in this one. So hopefully I'm hopefully they're useful enough. Uh, as someone said to me before. Um, oh, I listen to your podcast uh, when I'm in bed, just put me to sleep. So, um, yeah, maybe I'll become an ASMR artist or something like that. Uh, for those of you who know what ASMR is, uh, maybe my voice is that boring that it puts you to sleep. Anyway, listen, that is it for this part of the episode. Thanks again so much for listening. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you and talking to you again, um, probably in the next couple of days for part three of what we're going to keep after COVID. Um, until then, thanks for listening. Bye.